Hello and welcome to episode 757 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Wednesday, November 27th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm joined by Jason Collette. Jason, been a while, man. How are you? It has been a while. Flying right in here to 757 with the dad jokes. Uh, but Love it. I mean, you have to be super excited because your favorite pitcher is rumored to be signing to the major league team that is very, very close to you. Not the closest one, but at least in your state. How psyched are you about Kyle Gibson coming to Texas? Much closer here. And, you know, you just wonder if the the flying got to be a bit too much between coming uh, coming here and doing yard work, uh, like seemingly five days a week and always at the ready whenever we podcast and then flying back to Minnesota. It seemed to be a lot. And that's uh, that's interesting that, that Kyle Gibson would do that, by the way. Several people tweeted me once uh, once he signed. Very funny stuff there. But that is an interesting move with uh, with Kyle Gibson going to Texas. They don't have any flashy ace between the three guys that they have at the front with Lance Lynn, Mike Miner, and now Gibson. Oh, how dare but you it's a solid Lance trio. Lynn. No, no, it really no, is in like, all seriousness. <laughs> yeah, Lynn was was really strong this year. Miner was uh, was great, and then you add Gibson as a as a quality three and and you've got your front three looking really sharp there and if they can finagle some things figure out the four five spots um colby allard who they had come over from the braves i believe in the chris martin deal correct uh, if i recall correctly they obviously like him as a potential four so then they're really lo- looking for the five right now is probably what they're um most had said on but yeah kyle gibson signs a uh Looks like a thirty million dollar deal. Three years, thirty million. That's the Lance Lynn money. Right? Yeah, That's it is exactly what Lance Lynn got last year. And it and it's one of those things where it literally can't hurt them. Like, you know, I, I most people listening obviously understand, but for those that that aren't fully aware, like for a pitcher to be worth ten mil, he can put up like ninety innings of a five ERA, and that's worth ten million dollars, quote unquote. Because of the, if you kind of do the dollars per war calculation, which is not perfect, but is a good jumping off point. So this is a nice upside deal for them. I thought it was a solid move. Do not forget Texas, new stadium. That's right. Not necessarily going to be a launching pad because they're going to close the, the, the roof more often than not based on the Texas heat. So that climate isn't going to play as much of a role. Um, what do you think about Gibson in Texas moving from Minnesota? Feels to me like it might be neutral as far as as far as park. Obviously, division's a little bit different. But what what's your outlook on Gibson now that uh, now that he's inked up in Texas? Yeah, I think it's really a lateral move, and I'm glad you brought up the ballpark because that's the important thing to think about. I mean, Texas uh, Arlington, how Globe Life Park. I can't remember how many names that place went through. Um, but the park factors at that place varied a little bit. You know, some years it was mm-hmm. a launching pad, then they closed off the wind tunnels, and then it wasn't. And then last year, apparently, it was again uh, for a while. Uh, maybe that was just a new baseball in play, but that was one of the reasons that came into play with it. But we have no idea what the new ballpark uh, is going to be outside of a more controlled environment because, as you said, they'll be able to close the roof pretty much all season. I mean, maybe the first two, three weeks of the year they'll leave it open, but yeah, it'll you know, be rare. Right. Uh, I mean, offense, the run support is the only other thing. I mean, I know he was, uh, he enjoyed a lot of run support last year. I think he was a top five pitcher when the season was over. Uh, as oh, far yeah. as Minnesota, runs. So that's, that's the only Gibson thing. Beautifully. 
Right. I mean, I think that's the thing. But but he's won he's won double digits in each of the past three years and five of the past six. So the Twins haven't always been a powerhouse, but Gibson stays in the game long enough to get a decision. So I think you're safe if you're projecting, uh, you know, ten to twelve wins, ERA around four ish. You know, and a little, I think we'll be safe because. I, I don't think the same Major League Baseball is going to carry forward into 2020, so I'm willing to discount. Like, you look at the 484 ERA last year versus the 426 FIP. Uh, I'm leaning towards the FIP with the new – and the ex-FIP 380, somewhere in that capacity. But I'm thinking 10 to 12 wins, ERA in the low fours, and and whip where he you know where he normally puts – he's been in the high side. That's never what you like him uh, for. But lateral, yeah. overall, lateral move. I don't think there's anything gained here, uh, but nothing lost. Nope, I, I tend to agree there, and, and don't sleep on the Texas offense. Uh, they're not as uh, much of a powerhouse as Minnesota was last year, but we don't know that Minnesota is necessarily going to repeat either. They had a historical season, so if the two offenses wound up near each other uh, in 2020, I wouldn't be that surprised. So that's Kyle Gibson to Texas, and of course the the hard to quantify factor of being less tired, flying here to do our yard work regularly and uh, and be in my office during the podcast uh that's going to take a lot less toll on him so maybe he shaves another quarter run off of his era for that so there's kyle gibson nice little trade coming through by the way i gotta say the the gibson move this trade we're going to get into a couple other moves that we're talking about plus some of the other ones that we've already discussed with like uh grandal will smith this offseason's already infinitely better than last year's Oh, yeah. It's just it's much more active already and we're not having to wait for everything. We're still going to have to wait for the the, the top dogs to at least um, into December, which is fine. That's expected that that's not something that's necessarily new. But getting solid mid tier moves here before Thanksgiving has been great. And this is a nice little trade here that we're going to get into between the Brewers and Padres. Brewers are going to send Trent Grisham and Zach Davies over to San Diego for Luis Urias and Eric Lauer. And this is definitely an interesting fit based on what the teams had and uh, and what the teams were slated to be looking at in the market as well. I know a lot of the uh, second base second base free agents that were available out there were getting kind of penned into Minnesota, or excuse me, Milwaukee, and now uh, they probably won't be looking that way as Arias will be coming over and, and have a good shot to, or uh, excuse me, shortstop, uh, potential shortstop guys because Arcia wasn't necessarily locked in like Didi Gregorius was being talked about possibly because I don't dislike Arcia but Gregorius could have usurped him for sure now Arias is going to come in and have a good chance to to be the guy there meanwhile Grisham had that tough play in the wild card game now he doesn't have to live that down you know every day of his life in Milwaukee gets to go to San Diego get a fresh start what do you think about this trade at first blush? Let's start with the particular uh, with the with the principles between Urias and Grisham. Yeah, at first blush, yeah, I, I expected Milwaukee to trade Grisham sometime this offseason. Just the way last season ended, it's not fair to pin it all on him. But mm-hmm. people were going to pin it all on every time he made a mistake. So I think you know the club almost owed it to him to find him a new home, uh, and they did. 
and they got something really nice in return because, as you said, Arcia can play shortstop, but they need more bat. Uh, and he just wasn't providing it for him. And so when you look at Urias, you know, coming into the last year, Baseball America had him as the number three prospect in a very loaded San Diego uh, system. Uh, so he was right there behind. He was right there in front of Francisco Mejia, who we all love. Uh, and there was Urias in front. And you look at what happened last year for him statistically. Clearly, they believe in the bat. Uh, and if you look at 2018 and 2019, he was playing in El Paso both times last year. I uh, believe it was the new park in El Paso, but we know it was the new ballpark, the new baseball in the PCL, uh, and Urias's power numbers exploded. I mean, he went from hitting 19 home runs over the previous four seasons to hitting 19 last year. That said, he was also still only 22 years old, uh, and yes. there he doesn't he doesn't even turn 23 until uh, until this coming June. So he was 21, 22 years old, uh, putting up the numbers he put up in AAA, making him one of the youngest guys in the league. And you know, for those of you guys who have listened to us talk throughout the years, that's always been a huge thing for me, is when a guy is the youngest part, when he's doing this, 21, 22, that's low A. He was putting up a big season in AAA. So baseball, El Paso, environment, whatever. Dude can hit. And that's really where it comes down to for me. And Milwaukee's taking this chance to say, okay, uh, let's see where the real thing is. But he's always been able to hit for contact, a high amount of contact, and draw the walks. Uh, and, you know, last year, yeah, he struck out 23% of the time. Again, he was 22 years old in the major leagues mm-hmm. doing this. Give, I think this is a great trade for both organizations, just on the hitting alone. And then we got, you know, pitcher swap with Zach Davies. Uh, Zach, yeah. not Kyle. And you're going to hear a lot of slips of the tongue with Kyle Davies being referenced. It's Zach Davies uh, going over to San Diego and then Eric Lauer. Quickly, though, on, on Arias, you know, you mentioned that uh, it was his second year in, in AAA. I got no problem with a, a 22-year-old repeating. And the easiest way to kind of look at the, the power surge that he had was as, as ISO, which is slugging minus batting average, takes away the singles. Went from two eight went from one fifty one to two eighty five. Healthy jump there. But even if you look at twenty eighteen without the juice ball, uh, a a healthy one twenty seven WRC plus in AAA. So he was twenty seven percent better than league average. We haven't seen Arias bring it to the majors yet. Still a pretty small sample overall, though. He still has just three hundred and two major league plate appearances. I'm a big fan of this guy. He cuts a bit of a Jose Ramirez figure, uh, right-handed batter only, just in his in his stature. Early Jose Ramirez, not the guy who was hitting 30 homers. I'm not saying that he's ever going to get to that level. But when Ramirez came up, we didn't think he'd get to that kind of power right. either. So I really like Luis Arias. I'm definitely going to be drafting him this year late in mixers and uh, in the middle of NL-only leagues. Grisham goes over to the Pirates, or excuse me, to the Padres, and has a chance to get a starting role right off the top. I think he's got it. And that's what I was going to ask you is, how does this impact? What do they do with Manny Margot? I mean, Margot, highly touted prospect, has not panned out from San Diego. Uh, you know, he's been, they've tried him in the minors. He showed the skill set to be able to hit the top of the order. He has not shown the ability to get on base at the major league level. So he's hitting at the bottom of the order. Mm-hmm. What do you, I mean, defensively, Margot should be an everyday center fielder, but offensively, he is a bottom of the order lineup hitter where Grisham has the skills to lead off, which is what the Padres really need uh, is to have somebody get up there and set the table. Because right now you look at it, that's Tatis, that's Tatis, roster resource, has already thrown Grisham into the number two spot in that lineup and said it's right. his. So that's yeah, where right like, I'm fantasy impact. I think it's great for Grisham here, obviously, because he has an everyday job in this capacity, but Margot, I think, 
he he is more going somewhere else. How do you carry the guy? Well, that's the thing is that um, I like getting Grisham. I, I'm I'm very intrigued by his skills. He's definitely somebody I was keeping an eye on this off season uh, when I thought he was still going to be with Milwaukee. Interested with him in San Diego too, as as the left side uh, of of a potential. Even if it's a platoon, he would be the strong side. But now they have to fit in Grisham, Margot, Myers, Renfro, and and Franchi Cordero. Like that's what they're working with right now. And roster resource, they have Grisham, Cordero, and Renfro uh, as the starters. With uh, Margot and Myers as the as the uh, platoons with Grisham and Cordero, got to imagine Will Myers is going to figure his way in there though. So I'm not sure that Cordero is going to be the starter. I wonder if Grisham would move to center and Myers would be the left fielder, and then it would be Myers, Grisham, Renfro left to right with with Cordero and Margot fighting it over. But your main point about what what happens with Margot? Does he get moved somewhere else? I wonder because he's still only going to be 25 next year. He's an intriguing, you know, got a little bit of pop in his bat, plenty of speed, has the capability to take a walk. I feel like there'd still be some value out there for him on the market. So I'm eager to see what they're going to do there with their outfield situation. Right now it's a bit muddy, though. I think the only one that you can confidently draft as a, um, you know, 550-plus plate appearance guy is Renfro. And then everybody else you got to kind of have closer to – to 450 to 500 plate appearances and kind of work from that point. But I do like Grisham, and if he did bat two the way uh, the way roster resource is projecting, that could be interesting because I do think that that San Diego offense is going to be a bit better next year. Um, anything else on the offensive pieces before we get into the pitchers? Well, I think you know, one of the other things you, you mentioned about Will Myers is like people forget he's on a long-term guaranteed contract. Hey. The Padres owe him $60 million over the next three years. Mm-hmm. 60. Uh, and so it's not like you can just move him. He's getting paid. Uh, and that's and why that's... I, I don't think he'll be, I don't think he'll be short end of the platoon. Yeah. I know, so... I know that's where roster resource has that. I, I, that's the one part of this I don't agree with. So oh, that's yeah. where that's why I see Margot is the easier guy to move here because mm-hmm. he's go, entering his first year of arbitration. Again, the glove deserves to be in the lineup every single day. From a real baseball perspective, it's easy to find it, it's easy to find him a home. Look at the free agent market, center fielders. Uh, so yeah. if you want to find him at home, you can find him at home. It's like what is San Diego going to go do to uh, to to bring him in? Maybe it's uh, maybe it is pitching because but. Maybe it's bullpen help, but they all, well, we'll talk about that in a minute too. Because they've yes, got if, if you chalk it out with Paddock and with Richards, they just added Davies. They have Lucchese. They got Lamette coming back in a full season. There's a lot to like there already, and so and prospects on the way. Maybe it's bench depth because yeah, you you know you let Kinsler go. I, I don't. <laughs> that's old, uh, and yeah. so maybe maybe they get something on the bench. Uh, some versatility there to help on, on that capacity, but maybe, this is a crowded they, organization. That's the issue. When you have as much talent as they have on the farm system, elevating itself, and they've done what they've done at the major league level, it's getting crowded. Maybe they get a comparable infielder uh, to replace Greg Garcia. Now, I was just working on this yesterday, so it's a little fresh, and um, I, I like the guy that they have, but he's dealing with off-season labor surgery. I was doing my closer look at Cincinnati, and, and talking about moves that they could make. And one of the moves that I had them possibly looking at is Avisal Garcia to pair with uh, Jesse Winker. Somebody brought up Phil Irvin. I was like, hey, that's a good point. I kind of oh, forgot yeah. about Phil Irvin. However, if Senzel's shoulder, since he's preparing for uh, coming back from labrum surgery, is worse off 
they would need somebody in center. I do wonder if maybe like a Margot for Josh Van Meter uh, one for one swap might not suit these two teams well. And then Van Meter can be the, uh, the, the starter at second base right now for the Padres as they figure everything out there. But uh, they are a little bit cluttered in the outfield. Let's move over to the pitching piece. You mentioned they get Zach Davies now. Zach Davies is one of those guys in fantasy that you see on your wire consistently uh, in 12-teamers and often in 15-teamers. Um, and in 10 and 12-teamers, he bounces around teams. That Everyone takes a start from him here and there, hoping not to have the hot potato uh, when he gets blown out. But four of his five seasons, well, we'll call it uh, – Three of four. The The first was 34 innings in 2015, so we're not counting that as a season. But uh, of the three full seasons he's had, 16, 17, and 19, so we, we can even throw out the awful 18 because it was only 66 innings, so people were done with him anyway after the 477 ERA. But his three full seasons, he's got sub-4 ERAs of 397, right. 390, 355. So while he's always nerve-wracking because he doesn't strike anybody out, he gets the job done. He's a soft tosser, soft tossing, crafty type guy. You would think he he was a lefty if you look at his profile, but no, Zach Davies is a righty. He's going to move from Milwaukee, a difficult park, to San Diego, a an easier one. While not being the pitcher's haven it used to be, it's still pitcher friendly. Does this move suit Davies well, or is the defense a little bit more challenged in in uh, San Diego? that could counterbalance some of the park help for Zach Davies. Yeah, that's an issue given that uh, he t- tends to be a fly ball pitcher. I mean, he had eight quality starts last year, despite you know, despite not having the swing and miss stuff uh, to get the strikeouts. Eight of his starts were quality starts. Milwaukee was very good about getting him out uh, before. I mean, he only had, every time he stayed in the game, six or more innings, he got a quality start. So they, yeah, was, they were quick with the perfect, whole thing. Like, he, he was a perfect five and dive. and yeah. And... You know, not to the same degree of dominance because of the strikeouts, but it was like Jake Odorizzi in Minnesota. They knew, don't push your luck. outside. You, you, there's going to be certain games where he's dialed in. You mentioned that he had eight quality starts, uh, ranging from six to eight innings for Zach Davies. But for the most part, they knew five innings, get him out. He really only had four, like, true blowups, five-plus earn run outings. A few fours in there as well, right. but those weren't meltdown city for for zach davies this outfield defense 10 of his 31 31 starts 10 of them had three or more earned runs so that's 20 outings where he had two or fewer earned runs see i mean the san diego is intriguing the the problem is in a in a in a standard mixed league the strikeout rate makes them really tough to uh, handle but if you project if you project the padres to be i mean this last year people had them as a sleeper hey they're making the postseason well they 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 didn't they mean they really struggled through the summer but if this is the year you expect them to surge up and you have them as a 90 win team uh and and given some of the work that they're doing here i don't think that's out of the realm of possibility maybe he does get right back into these this this kind of 12 win with a with a good ERA given that he's going to a better situation mm-hmm. uh, and see where things fall. So and we talked earlier about Gibson being a lateral move. I think this is an upward move for Davies slightly, but, but it's up. Yeah, I, I can totally see that particularly if they get the outfield defense situated uh, in a favorable way. Cause Renfro, by the way, greatly improved his defense last year. If that carries over, you got Grisham, whether it's Margot or Cordero in center, there is a 
possibility where it's a solid outfield defense, which you definitely want if you're Zach Davies. It won't be as good as uh, you know having Yelich and, and Kane out there, although Braun was not uh, not really an addition. The infield defense, uh, obviously Manny Machado is great. Uh, at short, they're going to have Tatis, also excellent second base. I don't know how good Greg Garcia is. Defense. I still don't think that that's going to be their second baseman. And Hosmer, the defense on Hosmer, you know, the eye test versus metrics versus, you know, it, it's all over the place. I think one thing we can definitely say is that he helps his infielders with quality scoops more often than not. So, yeah, I think Zach Davies could benefit from this move here, even though Milwaukee was a quality team that he's leaving. Just getting out of that park versus San Diego's is nice. Eric Lauer now goes the other way, though. He goes from San Diego's situation into Milwaukee's. He is a heavier fly ball lean than, than Zach Davies, so he could be bitten a little bit more by the park. He's been a 1.2 homer per nine guy in his 262 major league innings. What do you think of the lefty Eric Lauer moving over to Milwaukee? Yeah, I think it's a slight down uh, tick for him because he's to me, he's like the prototypical fourth starter. Uh, in mm-hmm. a major league rotation, which makes him unusable in most mixed leagues, unless you're spot starting, depending on where things are. But this is an this is an NL only selection. But the ballpark change to me hurts because he doesn't have one great pitch. He's got a bunch of average, and you watch him pitch, and you're like average. I mean, if he can pitch from ahead, the slider's pretty good. But this is not a guy that can pitch from behind uh, effectively. And now you're putting him in a uh, in a division that has more unfriendly environments uh, and a home park that is uh, a step down. So for me, this, this impacts his fantasy value uh, slightly more than the Davies gained by making the change. Yep. I, I, th- I think I agree with all of that. Let's move on then from this trade into something you hinted at earlier about the brewer, or excuse me, the Padres improving their bullpen. They've got their stalwart in Yates but the bridge from starter to, to Yates was not that partic- all that strong. So they brought back somebody who they've had before, but now in a relief capacity, Drew Pomeranz is going to ink a deal. And I think Pomeranz was the best remaining uh, bullpen Absolutely. piece out there. Yep. And I'm not even sure it's particularly close. And they're going to be signing him to a deal. We don't have uh, terms right now. so And it doesn't really matter as far as uh, fantasy goes. But um, Drew Pomeranz is headed back to San Diego, where he was there in 2016 as a starter, and he went from there to uh, to to the Red Sox in the Anderson Espinosa deal. He's going to come back as a reliever. If you weren't paying attention last year to Zach Davis, or excuse me, Zach Davis, Drew Pomeranz, you might have missed the kind of elite bullpen work that he was able to do, particularly for Milwaukee, when he put up 26 innings with 45 strikeouts just eight walks and he only allowed 16 hits in that time too his relief work was excellent he really positioned himself nicely and now he's going to be the premier lefty in this bullpen it's more of an nl only as far as fantasy goes but looking at it as something that strengthens the rotation uh, again to uh, improve that bridge to yates i really like this move for the san diego starters how do you feel about drew pomeranz in san diego yeah, exactly. Back, back yeah. in San Diego. I yeah, say. exactly. I mean, when you talk about how it helps the starting pitchers, 
you know, it, it's always getting that bridge to getting the bridge to Kirby Yates. I mean, we talked about on this podcast last year how much we love Kirby Yates uh, and that he could he could save 40 and strike out 100. And it happens. It's exactly that's exactly what he did last year. In fact, I think it was 42 saves and 101 strikeouts. It's just getting that bridge there. You know, Matt Strom took a step forward. Uh, but it was just getting and now adding Pomeranz to this equation really helps get that bridge there. And with Pomeranz, it was just a matter of working as a reliever and being able to max out on his velocity because the uh, the Red Sox had said, oh, hey, let's try him as a starter. And then even last year, uh, it was just a matter of you look at the, the difference the in, the, in the season him as a starter. Exactly. The Giants were using him as a starter. Uh, and you're like, oh, yeah, the strikeouts are still there. But then Milwaukee's like, yeah, we'll take him. We'll take a turn or a lever, and boom. I mean, the numbers really took a step up. But you look at the four-seam velocity last year. I mean, he closed 2018 with a with an average fastball velocity of 89.8. He closed last year at 92.9. So, I mean, that's a big jump. And the wow. max below, 93.7 in 18 and 97.4 last year. So when he was able to just focus on, I'm going to be a reliever, and I'm going to throw that stuff, it worked out really well. Uh, now, what I don't have is a split between him being a reliever and a starter, but I, I got this, just the velocity. 94.3 yeah. 94 with Milwaukee. So that that's what he was averaging. Drew Pomerantz was uh, on his fastball as a reliever only. Yeah. So, I mean, it's this, this is the issue. Uh, it's just a matter of he's a two-pitch guy. He was never going to be good as a starting pitcher. Uh, but if you allow him to go in relief and set him up for success, as Milwaukee did, he was Fantastic. And now it gives San Diego an eighth and a ninth inning hammer uh, to come in. And they may be able to find, maybe that's what they trade Margot for, is go find some relief. But as you said, this was the best reliever left on the free agent market. Uh, now everybody's always looking for relief. There is no really good, real good relief out there. No. So there's going to be a lot of in-house auditions for things. Uh, it's like I was working on a player capsule uh, this morning for Jimmy Cordero and the White Sox. It's like, Alex Colomay is a free agent, so maybe somebody will go sign Colomay. So a lot of people will say, oh, Aaron Bummer, Aaron Bummer. Go look at Cordero closely, and maybe there's something there you can get Cordero on the cheap. I, I see a lot of those situations trying to uh, trying to play themselves out only because there's just nothing left out there. This was, nope. a, this was a very shallow free agent market uh, for relief, and it's gone now. Will Smith, it gone. Pomeran's gone. And, and yeah, now it's dry. And, you know, there's a big name out there in Batances, but his health track record or his health record right now is very sketchy. Oh, yeah. Uh, track record overall is fine, but the current record is is scary. So he's going to be a gamble. And I don't really know what else there is beyond that. By the way, you mentioned Matt Strom. Andres Munoz is another guy I'll mention. They could have a nice little four pack there with uh, with Yates, Pomeranz, Munoz, Strom, two lefties, two righties. If those two work out, Strom as the lefty and Munoz as the righty, Munoz was a really interesting swing and miss guy. Their, their, their bullpen could be set up pretty nicely here. Plus, they've got guys like Cal Quantrill um, and, and plenty of other pitching prospects who are coming up. So San Diego wasn't quite there this year. But like you said, this this year could be 2020 could be their move to, to really start perking up. Uh, we have a host of uh, uh, smaller moves as well in the same vein as the uh, Pomeranz deal here that we're going to rifle through a little bit. So the next move on the on the docket here is uh, Travis Darno going to Atlanta, securing their catching tandem now with Tyler Flowers. They've been really making tandems work lately. Uh, Tyler Flowers and Brian McCann, Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki. They can do righty-lefty. They can do righty-righty. They just like to have two catchers situated. They fully embrace kind of having a duo back there. You saw Darno up close and personal as a Rays fan watching him during that breakout that he had. 
what's what's on the docket here for Darno? Can he be good again? And can he handle, you know, the 60% end of a catching role in Atlanta? I mean, I think it's a great sign at two years and 16 million overall. I'm just a little butt hurt as a race fan that they didn't spend the money to bring this dude back. Uh, I mean, he he reworked some things with uh, with uh, Chad Matola, uh, and he gives he gives Motor uh, Matola's nickname a lot of credit for for making helping him make the changes. And so he definitely was uh, sway. He definitely looked like uh, a much better offensive player after about a month in. I mean, if you look right as he was acquired by the club. Um, he struggled the first month, and I was like, "Yeah, let's move on." Uh, but he made me look stupid, uh, and was able to put enough uh, put enough there. So he made he made some changes and turned himself into a nice deal here. Uh, yeah, I think it's gonna. He may lose some playing time, as you said, because of the the way Atlanta uses their catchers. But they set them up for success. I mean, we they thought really that it would be a problem with Suzuki, but they whatever magic sauce they've got going on there. Where like today it's gonna be Flyers, tomorrow it's, it's gonna be Suzuki, and it doesn't seem like there was any kind of uh, catcher caddy business. It was just matchups, and it's like it, it really was. Today this could be the dude. Today this is gonna be the dude. Uh, and so you know, playing in the uh, playing in the park Turner uh, Turner Field, um, SunTrust, SunTrust. Uh, or no, they got sold. It's not gonna be SunTrust. It'll be somebody else. Oh, some bank already here in, in Charlotte. Yeah, some bank here in the Charlotte bought versus so... SunTrust. So oh, they got to change the name. I forget. Uh, but that ballpark, uh, anyhow, will be obviously a little better, uh, more beneficial than playing in Tropicana. Uh, but you know, let's also not forget that Darno enjoyed the run environments in Baltimore and mm-hmm. Yankee Stadium. I mean, the three home run game he hit and the third home run was 314 feet and two inches. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. He enjoyed some friendly environments here. So overall, I think honestly, I think it's like a lateral move. I, I don't see a huge benefit. Because he maybe gets a little more at home, but he's going to lose some on the road. Yeah. Uh, and but he can hit. I mean, this is this is a. You look back at at seventeen and nineteen, and the, the numbers are, are rather similar. I uh, gained a little bit last year, but all we knew health, he could right? hit. It's just health, and yeah. now he's, he appears to be healthy again. That yeah, that's really it with Darno is is how healthy he can be. Um, I think he's played himself back into uh, a, a fantasy role with two catcher leagues, or if you're in a 15-team or one catcher, he's going to be one of the last few catchers off the board, even in this even in this uh, platoon role here with with Flowers. I think they're going to want Darno to be the 60% of of the uh, of the duo there, even if it's 55, 45. I still think Darno has enough power to where you could see him go in one catcher format. So uh, the, maybe the reason. That uh, that your beloved Rays passed on him was because they love Mike Zanino and uh, they they brought him back and so he's going to get another shot. How good is? It? Okay, I know he has a good defensive reputation. Does it uphold? Is, is he is he good defensively? He's he's good behind the plate. I mean, as his most notorious hater, mm-hmm. he's good behind the plate. He he it's is funny a good. That- he is a good second catcher. It's so, funny that I, you take that claim because in my Twitch stream, I'm known as a massive Zanino hater because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Are you familiar with why I dislike Zanino so much? No. I, I, I sports That's just because listening to me. Well, <laughs> it, that that might have influenced why I did what I did. I suckered my boy Dusty into a, a into just free money. I got this fool to take an over-under bet with me that Mike Zanino of all people could hit 231. This or 230 or better. Uh, this was coming into 2017 when he had a 195 career average. Just stole money from Dusty. 
Then all of a sudden, Mike Zanino hits 251 in a season. <laughs> Are you kidding me, dude? Are you kidding me? Oh, and then last year he hit 165. Um... Right back to 201 and 165 the next two years. I completely got trolled. Unfreaking believable. So, yeah, I'm very, very sports Haiti toward uh, toward Mike Zanino. But, yeah, he's going to be the guy there. He was disastrous last year for y'all. 544 OPS. Didn't even really have the power that he normally does. Um, I mean, I guess he did, but the batting average is so bad that 312 slugging doesn't look that great. But it, is there any hope of, uh, of a no. fantasy Bible uh, <laughs> found here? Or is he Austin Hedges? He's also, I mean, he has a, so I'm looking at his StatCast page. He has a 73rd percentile pop time uh, and a 61, uh, 61st percentile framing. So he's above average in both areas. And that mm -hmm. is, he is literally uh, extremely below average, everything else across the board. The 2017 season, I mean, if, if, if they want to do a 30 for 30 at ESPN and figure out how in the hell he pulled Shot out him. a 25 home run season and a 251 batting average, it would be worth it uh, because I still can't fathom. I know I've written about that and talked about it. Like, this guy's don't do this. Please don't do this to yourself. And then he went out and hit 20 homers again and lost 50 points of his average. And then the Rays acquired him. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. Oh, no. Why? Oh, and then no. they re-signed him. So it's just like, it's like, I think they're mad at me for leaving Florida. And so, you know what? Guess what? Punish but in me. all seriousness, this gets back to the barren market. If they didn't, maybe Darno was plan A. But again, 216 should not They're like, sorry, we can't afford that. Uh, that yeah. should not have been it. But apparently this was plan B. Uh, is like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Is And this is going to be the guy. Now, that said, it's like, what else are you going to do with catcher? Because I mean, he cannot be an everyday player. You can't. Sure I mean, the bat is just an empty. It's just empty. So they've got to do something else because, no, this can't be a starting catcher. This is a backup do, catcher. Do they go similar to Atlanta and, and get and not worry about a righty-lefty thing? And if, it's, if the righty's better and it's a Chirinos, they get him? Or do they get a lefty and try to go with Castro or Avila? Uh, or would you rather have a Chirinos or Maldonado? Between those four. Here's the other piece, though. Here's the other piece. Um, I mean, they did the righty thing last year. I mean, Zadino and Darno, they Yeah, that's true. That was two righties. But it's like there's rumors that Seattle is aggressively trying to move Omar Narvaez. Oh, that's right. And mm -hmm. Seattle and Tampa Bay make about two trades a month. Uh, so maybe that happens. But I mean, Narvaez is, is, is like the anti-race catcher because he – He's not a catcher. I mean, he's, he's a catcher. A terrible name catcher he's and a he terrible hit. catcher. And he can, and so that, but they don't, they don't roster those types of catchers. No. They are so much into framing, but that would make more sense here to say, okay, fine. For years, we've tried to get these guys that are glove first and no bat. And for the most part, it hasn't worked out. We lucked out on Darno because the Dodgers had DFA'd him and they needed to move him. And, you know, the, the Rays had like five catcher injuries in May and they lucked mm -hmm. into that one. Uh, so maybe they'll try the other way and say, you know what? Let's just call up our boy in Seattle, make a deal. Here's some pitcher. You give us Narvaez, and that's the new catcher. Uh, but I don't you – know, the Michael Perez, Mike Zanino, that's that's not going to cut it. And Hernandez is still years away uh, from coming. And it's like, what else? Ronaldo what else Hernandez. Prospect, yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, Mac James is not going to, that's not going to happen. It's just like, no. here, this is it. They've got to go find another one. And the Perez Zanino thing is not going to work. 
but they do seem to like Perez and Perez, but he also has options. So he can just keep going up and down um, the ladder. You got to keep a third experienced catcher around somewhere. Uh, so maybe by the time uh, the hot stove, the way it's cooking today, maybe Narvaez is a ray before we're done recording this podcast. It, it wouldn't surprise me, but if it's, if it's not Narvaez, I, I feel like Jason Castro might be the fit there because he's also good defensively yeah. um, more often than not. So that could work. Speaking of uh, Seattle and the Mariners there, you got a nice little segue. You didn't even know that you jumped on your segue over here and were zipping over to the Pacific Northwest. They made an interesting signing of one of their own guys, a a, a, pre, uh, a pre-MLB deal for prospect Evan White, who I believe coming into the year had topped at high A. This year has only played double A. So he gets a, he gets a deal. What do you get, 24 mil uh, yeah, with, so with the potential the- – Got the Scott King deal. Yeah, six year twenty four, which can max out to fifty five point five with options and everything. He got that deal. <clears throat> pardon me, as somebody who uh, he did peak at AAA, but it was eighteen plate appearances. So for all intents and purposes, he's peaked at AA. If we're if we're being honest about where his experience lies, he's put up great numbers uh, all the way up so far. He's a first round pick from twenty seventeen. He draws a loose comp to. Uh, Cody Bellinger in that he plays first, but has the capability to play a ki- uh, outfield in any of the three outfield positions, including center field. He has that kind of athleticism. Nobody's saying that he has Bellinger's power. He's not tracking toward a potential MVP anytime soon. The, the comp is really about the defense. So I, I only bring it up for that piece, but he's also, you know, big guy, six three two zero five, a lot of athleticism interesting deal here though obviously it would seem to suggest that they're looking at him uh, evan white as somebody who's going to be on this 2020 roster pretty darn quickly if not be given an opportunity to break camp and again doesn't necessarily have to uh play first base could jump into the outfield and yeah we can look at their roster right now as it is but as you just mentioned, Trader Jerry's going to make 50 trades, five of which are going to be with your raise. So we don't really know how it's going to go as it stands right now, though. Roster resource already says, hey, Evan White, you only have, X, uh, what, 10 games, five games at AAA. That's OK. You're going to be our first baseman from day one because he's already 23 going into his age 24 season. What do you think of this deal and what do you think of White for 2020? Yeah, I mean, you don't give a guy six twenty four with the with the ability to get to fifty million if everything plays out to send him back down to the minor leagues. Now we yeah. said this about we said this about Scott Kingry when the Phillies did it, and Kingry played his way to AAA. Uh, you know, he couldn't. Well, yeah, he sunk as far as a sink or swim type of deal. But yes. he did get to he did start this like it was like okay, we yeah. signed this deal, go right right away. So uh, and, you, and they'll the go difference with though, instantly. Yeah, I do because. What else do they have to lose? This is not a team that's contending. Philly exactly. thought they were making the push. This is a this is a team in full rebuild mode. They cannot compete with this roster in that division. So let let's see what they let's see what they've got here. When you have the con, there's no need to worry about shuffling them up and down. Uh, now that said, you're putting a lot of pressure on a guy to play first base to hit. I mean, again, he didn't have an, a bat above high a ball coming into this past season we talked earlier about the age uh where guys were like uh urias and where are urias however which way he pronounces it uh you know the things that he did at his age uh white was 23 turning 24 he was uh, he turns 24 here in april 
uh, late April. So he was 23 years old doing what he did in double A. So he was league appropriate for age. So it's not like he was exceeding at, at some young thing. He was very league appropriate. But, you know, making the jump from double A to the majors with four games of triple A experience. Just for the uh, techni- technical Tommies out there, um, I did misspeak. Those AAA games actually came in 2018. He went from high oh, A to AAA for those yes. four games and then spent all 92 games of his season, Evan White did, in AA this year. So, like, that alone, I'm not touching him in a mix in a mixed reset league. He's just off the table. Don't even think about it. Uh, no, I got to Unless you have, like, unless you're in dollar days uh, and somehow it, but you've got to see something. Even, it would have to be like an 18-team mixed league for me to even consider rostering him. But in, in the AL side of things, I mean, people are going to say Jonathan Singleton, you know, five years, $10 million, and he smoked that money away. Literally. <laughs> you know, but you take it. If, if the team's offering, you take it. You don't oh, know yeah. what's going to happen. And so you're good for him for getting this. And I, I do think he's going to get out there um, and they're going to let him let him try it. I mean, maybe he is, maybe they keep Austin Nola around and Austin Nola is part, is like the, the cushion a little bit uh, for this, but there's really no reason to, and there's not like there's anything banging down the door to say, uh, if he doesn't work out, this is the guy we're going to bring up. There's nothing else. No, no, it's no. Him. They, they, they set this up for Evan White. And um, again, he can play the outfield if necessary, but he has a free and clear path to first base. He's going to get a shot. I think it's an AL only play. The only thing that could make me be interested in mixed league would be a big spring showing. And even then it would be a reserve pick type deal and a 15 team or maybe. Um, but otherwise, I, I want to see it. I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Interesting move. I do not blame him for taking it at all. Sure, if he became a superstar, he'd be leaving some money on the table. But if you're 23 years old, you take this money. So good on him getting paid uh, before he even touches the major leagues couple other small bits here. One signing and then a, a few rumors before we get out of here for the uh, for the holiday. Josh Harrison signs a minor league deal to Philadelphia. Obviously, it's been a while since he's been anything of note right now. As it often does in, in situations like this, it's coming down to health. Uh, he was he was a dud with, with the Tigers, unfortunately. He's still only 32, though. That's why I still kept him on the list because if he found some health, I think he could get back to like – I don't know, being in a, a 90 to 100 WRC plus bat, which would not be flashy, but would be an NL only filler and could potentially include some speed as well. If you're in like an NL tout, an NL labor, is Josh Harrison somebody who's on your dollar day reserve list? Uh, yeah, I mean, because we'll also know early on, uh, you know, with that minor league deal that he's got to be like, oh, if we think through uh, like Daniel Hudson. Daniel Hudson was let go uh, by the Angels on March 24th, and then mm-hmm. he got the final out of the World Series by the Oops. by the Nationals. So it's like you can Oops. get you can get some uh, uh, guys are looking at opportunity like eh, it's not there. We'll let him go. So it's the opportunity to to get out there. I mean, with Josh Harrison, when he's healthy, he can hit the ball hard. But that's yeah. been, as you said, that's been the problem. Uh, and what the, what do the Phillies have to lose here by? allowing him the opportunity to come to camp to see what he's got and, and to potentially audition for um, a position. Uh, but that's, yeah, we'll see where that goes. I mean, his, the unfortunate, the average exit velocity for him has been in the bottom 10th percentile of the league the last three years. So something's got to change. It's got to change quick. I mean, I'm not even talking about 2019. There wasn't enough time, but 16, bottom 7%, 18, uh, 17, bottom 8%. And that's uh, when he was an all-star. Yeah, you know, playing pretty well in seventeen. So that's right. 
That's interesting. So yeah, it, I'm, it, I'm actually surprised at how low those numbers are, uh, given me, how me what I've watched him, when I've watched him hit. But that's uh, well. Yeah, I would I would have thought Harrison was better in 17 there. So you know, it, it's a gamble. Uh, it's an easy lottery ticket to see if maybe he can become their utility uh, Swiss Army knife off the bench. Josh Josh Harrison in Philly, NL only folks. You guys are the only ones that need to pay attention to that right now. Let's talk a little bit about some rumors here. Seems that uh, Avisal Garcia is drawing a lot of interest, including potentially from. Miami, uh, I bring him up specifically because, again, this was another guy who was on the Rays, and so somebody that you were kind of zeroed in on. What's what's his outlook here? Can he be somebody who goes to the National League and, and plays in the field every single day, or does he need to start transitioning more toward a a, a DH partial, a DH-adjacent role. What, what's what's the outlook on Avisal Garcia, and what do you think of his bat? Because he played pretty well for the Rays, but they seem to you know, be working him as a little bit of a short side platoon at times there, too, when when, when everybody was healthy. Yeah, but he got 530 plate appearances last year uh, mm-hmm. when it was all said and done. <clears throat> I mean, for he hits the ball hard. I mean, we talk about the, the other direction. When we're talking about a guy who has, who has an average exit velocity of 90 miles an hour each of the last four years. So, That's I mean, strong. he can hit the ball hard. The, and the, the the problem with him is defensively, as you said, the National League's not a great fit. He is a right fielder. Uh, he, he even played some spot center last year, and that's ugly. I mean, defensively for me, he's good going back. Like I, like if we're talking about the, the clock face, I would say from the 10 to 2, he's good. But in okay. between that time, he's not. he is particularly bad at balls in front of him. He lets he short plays a lot, uh, let short hops. A lot of a lot of balls in front of him, but I found him to be really good going to right center field, doing a good job of playing the ball towards the line and getting back to the wall. Uh, but everything in front of him, he let play him versus taking chances, and I found that particularly frustrating last year. Only because when Kiermaier's healthy, you've got that insurance policy: exactly. be aggressive, go after the ball. You know that guy's going to be chasing it behind you, but habitually let balls fall in front of him. Uh, so ideally it'd be better if he was in a, in a, in a national league park. I mean, he's been an AL guy his entire career. Um, and, but how many DH jobs are going to be open? Uh, so we'll see where that goes, but I actually don't like him as a, in the national league playing in the field every day. 2010 last year, 20, 20 homers, 10 stolen bases, always has had a little bit of sneaky speed and, and the Rays let him, let him run a bit there with 14 opportunities. And he, and he converted 10 of them for Avisal Garcia, 282 average solid little fantasy season there in his 530 plate appearances. I think he'd be better off in the AL as well, where he can get some, uh, get some DH work. Even if it's not full-time DH, he'll play the outfield still because he's still on the right side of 30, but having that protection to, to take him off his feet once a week, and maybe in the latter part of a deal, if it's a three-year deal or whatever, you could put Avisal Garcia at DH. Last bit here before we get out, Oakland checking in on trades for Blake Trine and Jerickson Profar and Josh Fegley. So they're doing their Oakland thing, right? The second that uh, that guys start to get a little bit costly, it's time to look to deal them. <clears throat> Is this particularly unfortunate on the Trinan end because they're dealing him? At, they would be dealing him at such a trough. I do still think that they would be able to encourage a team to give them something uh, particularly because of what we highlighted earlier about the uh, free agent market not being strong you mentioned Daniel Hudson by the way he's probably the best reliever left maybe him yeah. or Will Harris um, 
So again, Trinan would be able to generate something in the market, but such a far cry from what they could have gotten if they had dealt him after last year. And I'm not saying that they necessarily should have because it's hard to trade somebody who had just put up like the best reliever season in the league. Although if you're the A's, you have precedent for that. So maybe that was the time to strike. And uh, Jerks and Profar also kind of be, being dealt in a little bit of a trough. Fegley would actually be being dealt at a peak. He had a nice little season there where he was able to do some things. He's not a great catcher, so to speak. Actually, no, his offense, not at all. <laughs> his offense was yeah, peak in air quotes. He's not. Yeah, there's, there's a reason why. Like, even though my favorite club needs another catcher, this is not the guy that I want them to go get. No, because he can't catch. He really only hits against lefties. He's a short side platoon guy. You know what? I think I got stuck on on his first couple months there, where he was doing pretty well. His last four months were atrocious. So yes. he did peak, as you said in air quotes, but only because he went from 65 to. 85 on his WRC plus for Fegley. So let's put him off to the side and focus on Profar and Trinan. What do you think about those two being dealt? And if you have any off the top of your head, any potential landing spots that you'd like to see either of them go to? Don't have any landing spots, but I do have a question for you. How old do you think Jerks and Profar is? 27. He will be 27 on February 20th. He's been around forever. He has been around forever. Uh, because, you know, he came up early, then he had the Tommy John surgery, uh, but he's been around forever. And it's like he had he's had back to back 20 home run seasons, uh, you know, overall offensive, better in 18, took a step back last year, uh, really struggled. Finish line, though. Yeah, really struggled out of the gate last year, mm-hmm. uh, which really hurt him. But, you know, again, a guy without a true defensive home. But, you know, it's like. What do you do? The switch, a 27 year old switch hitter, he's going to get another chance somewhere. Uh, oh, and sure. so I don't know where home for him, but like switching over to Trinan, though, getting back to what we were talking about with the White Sox, if, they, if they're trying to make this push, I mean, with all this activity they're doing in the offseason, and if they look at the AL Central as, hey, we could, yeah. we could do this. I love that. This idea. is what you go get. You go because you go you're get buying Trinan. low. You're buying low. You have that. You have this the cachet in the system to to send something over to say, hey, open here. Uh, you've got some things you can do, but this is the guy that I go get. If you re- if you're truly serious about making a push, go get a guy that you probably have to spend 85, 90 percent to acquire, and you're not acquiring him at the peak. You're you're buying him in the trough, and Oakland's not going to say we're not giving him away. Uh, but at the same point, he, they can't possibly command what they could have got for him 12 months ago. Exactly. You're going to give a little something of note uh, because it's, it's still, you know, we can look at his track record and, and Billy Bean can say, listen, you're going to get lesser than than you would have had to pay last year, but I'm not giving him to you for free. Give me something of, of a bit of note here. I believe these two organizations have definitely made trades in the past. So uh, I think there's a link That's there. That's where Marcus Simeon came from. Exactly. So... I like where your head's at with that potential fit there, and I think that'd be really sharp of the White Sox to do it too. And you always know that uh, that the A's are looking to to get uh, controllable assets. So you know, even if it's like one decent prospect, um, and and that's kind of what they get. But the six years of control, I think they go for it. So I like that there. Anything else that we missed? Anything that came through while we actually there is one little bit that came through. It's another. Rumor though, it's uh, Orioles reportedly working to deal Dylan Bundy. Are you? Are you? Where? Where do you stand on him? Are you in or in or out? Oh, I need to. I I think I wrote up his player capsule. Let me see if I can find it because uh, I am I'm always going to be in on the guy, but he's got to get somewhere else. Yeah, um, I have a I, hard time quitting him. 
fairly certain I wrote up his. Let me see if I can find it so I can work on the. Uh, come on, Google Sheets. There it is. Okay. Let's see. 2019 was the year of the home run and the year that Dylan Buddy lowered his absurd home run rate from 2018. <laughs> that's it. Copy from 2.2 to 1.6 is still going to lead to some damage. Bundy got the strikeouts, but that's where his fantasy value ended because the team he pitches for and the ballpark he pitches most of his games in did him no favors. He throws his fastball 50% of the time. And while it has above average spin, it has below average velocity these days. Still, he keeps hitters off balance and does a good job of limiting hard contact last year, which he did. A change of scenery and perhaps a reduction of fastball usage hey. would make Bundy, Bundy instantly more attractive for fantasy players. But Bundy still has two more years until free agency. Perhaps Baltimore can move him this winter as they continue to rebuild. But until they do, he is simply an AL-only roster option. Now, great capsule, by the way. And I agree with everything you've written there. And I agree with your initial point saying that you can't quit him either. Uh, we're in this one together. What about... Because I, the first thing I was thinking when I was looking at his profile and hearing you talk about him was that he's like a pitching profar. Uh, he's been around forever, but he's only 27. Well, that's a nice swap up trade. Swapping those two. <laughs> would that, would that, that really not... a, Yeah, that would be a, so, such an open thing to do. You get right? your reject and we'll get, yeah, here. And that's, and that'd be, be profar. If he went to Baltimore and got to hit there, yippee. Uh, that would play. be fun. That would be fun. Uh, but uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense on paper. I like that. So I think that 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 could be something there, uh, where those two make a make a deal of of guys that were once elite prospects that just haven't quite done what they've hoped. And uh, here you go. Let me get this pitcher. You take this uh, this infielder. They can play him 600 plate appearances right off the top in Baltimore. They don't have to worry about anything there. Hunter Alberto, I know he hit for a big batting average with his uh, huge BABIP. He's not oh, blocking yeah, anybody. That, that and it was all against lefties. It, it was complete. It, it was completely fraudulent. It was, uh, yeah, 900 it's BABIP against lefties. lefties. <laughs> he, absolutely. He was a nice little DFS play, Hunter Alberto was, when a lefty was on the mound because you could put him in at basically base price. And uh, and steal steal a few points, but yeah, Profar for Bundy. Let's get it done. I think that that deal would work, and I'd certainly be interested in Bundy out in out in Oakland, hundred uh, percent. And I'm looking at our our, our, our buddy Sandy casmir has got some notes on Bundy in his Twitter feed, just uh, saying, uh, you know, Bundy looks like an excellent addition to any team as a fringe contender could look to flip the last arb year after falling out with a non-contender hoping to help find another gear for similar trade reasons. He would improve any contender as there just aren't enough arms. Yep. So he's got some nice things and they're looking sure. at uh, some, his non non ball in play ball in play data where he made some improvement year over year uh, last year. Just, he got, he got lost in the awfulness that was Baltimore last year. Keep, keep a little star next to Bundy. I, like, like I said, Jason, and I don't have not, I've had a hard time quitting him. And I think with good reason, Get him in the right scenario. Get him in a in a hitter's uh, excuse me a pitcher's place like Oakland. That'd be really intriguing. That would almost put a little bit too much of a spotlight on him fantasy wise, but that's all right. I still don't think even with a rise in his his current price that he would become cost prohibitive. I think Dylan Bundy would still be plenty affordable even if he went somewhere as favorable as Oakland. He's three sixty eight on the uh, on the average draft position market for the early NFBC league. So. He could raise 120 picks and still be affordable there. But uh, well, you look at, yeah, like good. I said, about the about him limiting the hard the, the hard contact, his ability to limit hard contact last year. You know, if you put that if you put that in uh, Oakland and take it out of Baltimore, like his hard hit percentage was in the 86th percentile. 
that's good. Like he he was better than eighty six percent of the league in limiting things. And we're talking about fastball spin high, velocity not as much. To me, you acquire him and you put him in the bullpen. You you do the you do the Drew Pomeranz thing with him and see what happens. Like if I'm Oakland that, and I move Blake Trinan, I move Blake Trinan, pick up Dylan Bundy and try him in bullpen and see what happens. That could be interesting. And he I mean, you got Liam Hendricks. Late. You got Liam Hendricks to close it, but you got to have somebody to get the bridge. You got to bridge it out, and let's see what happens there. Well, and he's coming off, you know, plenty of volume, so you could still work Bundy for a hundred plus innings. I still want to see one, at least one more year as a starter. But that could be a decent fallback option too, and I could definitely see that working. So we'll keep we'll keep uh, following that and all the other news. The hot stove's actually been percolating a bit, and I've been enjoying that. And uh, we'll have probably a couple of days off here as we head into the holidays. But hopefully, teams get right back at it in early December. And I know that the winter meetings are just on the horizon. Jason, um, you got anything planned for for Thanksgiving? You had uh, yeah. what, what are you doing? Oh, real quick, Derek Shelton just got named the manager of the uh, Pirates. Okay, so right. that's so out there now. He uh, was uh, he was the bench coach in in Minnesota, so he's correct. he's the he's the guy. He was the hitting coach in Tampa Bay, then went to Minnesota as the bench coach for Rocco Baldelli, and now he is the manager. Uh, so the, that's there. The uh, no, I'm heading out tonight. I'm driving up to Greensboro because Taco Fall is playing with the main Red Claws uh, in the uh, NBA G League. Yes, G-League. I am yeah. I am sick enough to drive 90 minutes to go see one of my favorite all-time college <laughs> players play in a G League game the night before Thanksgiving. But I'm doing Love that it. with my Love kids it. who want to do it, too. So we're, we're going to go do that. Uh, and then we're going to my brother's house for Thanksgiving. What about you? I'm just going to be headed over to my sister's uh, just up up north of Austin, hanging out a little bit and uh, and eating some turkey and chilling. So low-key, we went out, like I said, to Michigan last Last week, basically did like a uh, a family Thanksgiving before Thanksgiving. So now we're just keeping it local here and hanging out for a few days. And uh, hopefully there isn't too much baseball news. Sometimes it can happen during the holidays. They don't always take the holidays off. But considering we actually get a few days off from writing, I wouldn't be mad if they took it easy tomorrow and Friday so that I could have a little bit of like a four-day weekend type deal. So, uh, But we'll be back at it. Next week, um, hopefully we can get you back on regularly. I'm glad that you were available this week. We were able to work it out. Justin was a little bit busy, but uh, we we got to get you back in the rotation on the regular. Yeah, I mean, December, I'm not traveling too much. I only have one more trip on, on the books in December. and obviously, obviously have a lot of downtime around the Christmas holidays since all the schools are closed down, and I have a, a lot of opportunity then uh, around the winter meeting schedule. I can't go to the winter meetings, but I am certainly uh, should be available to talk about anything that could happen at the winter meetings, although it seems like everything's happening in advance of it. So I don't know what's going to happen at the winter meetings. Yeah, hopefully they leave some things for the meetings and maybe even more trades. I love trades, dude. I'm such a sucker for trades. So, all right, man, well, we'll get out of here. Great talking with you and have a good holiday. Hey, you too, buddy.